0: Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Uh, to chapter three this morning, and we're looking at the second of the last church, the church that we find in uh, Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia. And let's read together this morning. It's in uh, Revelation three, beginning in verse seven. And the letter from Jesus begins this way. And to the angel, that means pastor or messenger of the church in Philadelphia, write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall they go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven, uh, from God out of heaven, and my own new name. He or she who has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, that's a, a, a lot of information and a lot of uh, certainly word pictures that we want to dissect a little bit this morning. But what we found in these letters is that the le- the letters that Jesus had written to the churches were really just assessments, if you would, and some admonishment that he gave to these churches. Uh, he alone has the ability to see the real spiritual condition. By the way, these were real churches in these regions uh, during that time period, uh, about 100 AD or a little bit before that. And what we find is that Jesus really, throughout each letter, he gives a description description of himself, and then he gives an assessment. This is uh, one of two letters out of the seven where he doesn't give a criticism because they had they they had nothing going on that he wanted to actually uh, to condemn or to actually get under control. He's the only one who can accurately inspect his church and give that assessment. Like the human nature, we look on the outside, right? Like last week we talked about the church that had a name or a reputation that they were alive, but Jesus said, you were dead. Everyone on the outside, all the churches in the community said, wow, they're alive, they've got everything going on, and yet the Lord says that there is a missing component. There's not a, the activity of God's spirit among them, it's just activity that they have going on. But everyone saw... Life and Jesus says, "No, you're dead." So he looks into the churches, and, and these are real letters that he given to real congreg- or real congregations. But certainly, they speak to the 21st century and churches in our in our community and churches throughout the world, where the Lord gives us this understanding of uh, the conditions and the trials and the struggles that they had. Those are the same things that we face, and it's happened throughout the ages. And when we read these letters, you don't really read them like a piece of ancient literature. You read them like a mirror, if you would, of like, hey, this is what God is wanting to reflect, not only the positives that we see through the churches, but also some of the negatives that he wants to remove from our own lives. And so that's what we've been doing over the last six weeks, next week being the seventh installment. So he begins this letter to the Church of Philadelphia. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles are not good, no, no. The church of Philadelphia, the name Philadelphia, means brotherly love. In fact, Jesus begins this letter by saying, hey, I know your works. And and we we take that those works were done not only out of um, kind of response to God and his love, but it was a reflection of their love for one another. And that church had a lot of love, even though they were small and they had a a, a little um, strength, he says. The city had a long history with earthquakes and destruction, and so there were many times that the the city would fall, and the only thing that would remain were the pillars, and then they would rebuild, and and so they had lots of uh, struggles that way. This was a rich agricultural area where wine and grapes were a major part of their uh, of their economy. Uh, one of the main gods that they worship was the god of wine and winemaking and wine down Wednesday, and yet. This church seemed to stay stay the course, even though they were small and even though they had a little strength. They were what's been called the faithful church. They were faithful to the Lord. And as each letter begins, there's a, a description of Jesus that we find from chapter 1, about who he is. And, and each time he describes himself, it corresponds with kind of the culture, or the climate of the church that he's writing to. He begins by saying that he was the Holy One, and only God is holy. So he's asserting the fact that he is the Son of God, and he himself is God. He says that he's the true one, that there's no one else besides Jesus, that he's, he's genuine. And in the midst of so many false gods and so many idols and so many pagan gods and certainly pagan religions, Jesus stands alone as the one true God. In, a, in, in the same way he said in John fourteen six, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. He's asserting his authority here to this church. And he holds the key of David. What is that talking about? Well, earlier in chapter 1, he said that he, because his resurrection from the dead, he holds the keys of hell and death, meaning that he's conquered the grave for humanity and any person that puts their faith in him, that they themselves won't suffer that fate because Christ has risen from the dead and he offers eternal life to all who would come to him. But when he talks about the keys of David, it's a reference to a a prophecy in in Isaiah chapter 22 in reference to the Davidic kingdom. So if you're reading your New Testament and you read through Matthew's gospel and you read through Luke's gospel and you get to that section about names, you know what I mean? And you're kind of like, you read through those names, you're like, I don't even know why it's telling me these names here. The only reason you would ever read through them is like, is there a cool Bible name we might want to name our kid or our dog or whatever? Show of hands. Does anyone have like a Bible name for their dog, by the way? Don't be ashamed. Like Moses is a cool name. Do you guys see guys too? Okay. Moses? There we go. Moses. Moses goes up to his water and the water just parts. I'll take the left side today. <laughs> the reason why those names are there in the beginning of the Gospels is because the Messiah was promised to come through the lineage and family of King David. And that's why we could, you could track Jesus, Mary, and, and Joseph, you could track their, 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 their lineage to actually King David. And so when Jesus says that he holds the keys of David, he, he's saying that he has the authority over the house of David as the Messiah, and he has authority over the kingdom of God. He's the one that controls the entrance and exclusion to the kingdom of God. Only Jesus has that authority. And he says that he opens doors that nobody can shut. He closes doors that nobody can open. Again, his authority as the ruler of the kingdom of God. He opens doors to the kingdom. Only through Jesus Christ can a person actually enter the kingdom of God. He opened the way for sinners to be made right with God. That's why Jesus came to this planet 2,000 years ago When, when Christ died on the cross in the temple something amazing happened there was this big curtain that separated the children of Israel from the holy place where they would bring those weekly sacrifices to God and then the most holy place it was a veil that was this barrier if you would mentally and also physically that only the high priest would go behind that veil one time a year. And that's where he would go and bring an offering for the sins of the nation of Israel for himself as well. And when Christ died, that veil was torn from the very top to the very bottom, signifying that now because of Christ's death and resurrection, there's an open way for humanity to have now relationship with God. That sin barrier, that uh, inability for us to ever be perfect was now removed because Jesus became our substitute. Well, he's the one who has the keys to the kingdom of God. He's the one who opens the heart of a believer, to act, or heart of a human being, to actually believe the gospel. He holds the keys to the kingdom of God. And he's the one who opens doors for believers to walk through and churches to walk through to fulfill the mission that he's called us to to, to minister to the broken and hurting in our world and proclaim the everlasting gospel that brings salvation to all who would hear and believe. See, they were surrounded by wickedness and all those around them were deceived just like they were at one time. And by the way, just like we were at one time. And Jesus, the sovereign one, he says, I open doors that no one can shut. So this was the the faithful church who lived out the real mission of the church, which was to take the gospel to the lost. And they were kind of, they were situated very strategically Uh, to be like a mission post, if you would, to go out and proclaim the gospel. They were on a trade route. And and so it became very easy for them to go out and do missionary work and to proclaim the the gospel. So Jesus now gives his assessment. So the two things we'll look at today, his assessment and his admonishment. Number one, you'll note with me, is that Jesus says, I know your works. What he's saying is that they were faithful in service to God. He said, I've set before you an open door. For Paul, that always meant an open door for ministry or evangelism. Paul would often say that there's a lot of opposition in this community, but God has opened a door, and so Paul would stay there, and he would do a faithful work of teaching God's Word and proclaiming the gospel to that community. The church and believers, we need to be ready when God opens that kind of a door, right? God opens a door like the Sings, you know. The, by the way, they both have full-time jobs. Dave is, uh, works up at, at Valley Children's Hospital. He's the, he's, I always say he's the king of Valley Children's Hospital. That's not what he is. Uh, but that's what I say when I walk around there. I say, hey, I know David Singh. Who are you? Christina, she's got her own, her own career as a physical therapist. And God opened a door for them, and guess what? They stepped right into that. And God's using their family in an awesome way. They don't take any any finances from Imani Care. It's all volunteer work for them. When a door opens up like that, as Dave said, some big doors like that, running a a ministry on the other side of the world, or an open door to, to reach out to a co-worker who's going through a divorce, and there you are in their world and life for the next 18 months, helping them walk through that pain, you step through that door. You take that opportunity That's why they're called the faithful church, because they weren't thinking about like the church in in Sardis that had the name that they were alive, but they were actually dead. They're like, no, we're alive. Let's go do something with this living tissue called the body of Christ and go make an impact. He says, I know your works. You're faithful in your service to God. They were faithful to share his love, to serve uh, other humans in distress, and yet, this seems to be an encouragement beyond just their stepping through doors to do ministry. It's, it's as if he's reminding them, guys, I've opened a door for you as the one who holds the keys of David, translation, the keys to the kingdom of God. I'm the one who is the one who opens the door for a person to be saved. I'm the one who's the one who says that a person is excluded. And he's reminding them perhaps because they were hearing from the community around them as Jesus makes refuge to the synagogue of Satan. Can you imagine that bumper sticker? Like, oh, follow me to the synagogue of Satan. Like, no, thank you. Jesus is making reference that perhaps they were hearing, hey, you guys are excluded from God's kingdom. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Here's how it works. I'm the one who opens the door. And no one can shut that door. You think about... uh, you know, the, the voice of, of people in our world today. You think about a person who might think like, wow, I have actually done so many things wrong. How could God ever allow me into his kingdom? You might have friends, you might be sitting here right now or you think like, hey, listen, I know that, you know, God opens the doors for people to be saved, but I don't think I could be saved. Let me tell you, there is no sin too great that God cannot forgive. There is no person that is so far from God that he cannot reach them and open the door to the kingdom and and allow them to to enter his kingdom. Isn't that amazing about God's grace? To think that, that no one can shut you out. And he reminds them, guys, I've opened the door to the kingdom for you. And nobody gets to say, no, 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 they can't come, Lord. There's a sense that Jesus is referring to the kingdom as he does talk about Uh, the the synagogue of Satan. In verse 9, there's that reference there. The synagogue was a gathering place. You know, in the beginning days of the church, the Christians met in the temple, they met in homes, but they would also gather on the Sabbath in the synagogue because the majority of Christians were Jewish during that first century. It wasn't until the gospel started going out into other communities, non-Jewish communities, but even in those communities, Jews existed. That's why there was synagogues. And so they would go, Paul, on his journey through the book of Acts, he would always show up to a synagogue on a Saturday on the Sabbath, and and they would say, oh, here comes a teacher of the law, and he would open up the, the Torah, and he would start pointing them to Jesus, his death on the cross, and all that God had promised through the Old Testament, and why we need to put our faith in him. And for some reason, they were perhaps being excluded from going and gathering and studying the God, God's word together and worshiping God. And so he's saying, listen, I know that they've been excluding you. I want you to know that, that no one can shut a door on the kingdom of God. Perhaps they even told them that non-Jews cannot actually be saved. That's what Paul was. Paul was one who opposed uh, the Christian. He opposed the gospel before he was a believer And so Jesus is saying, guys, no one can keep you out of my kingdom. I open the door, no one can shut it. And By the way, doors that open for us, Jesus is the one who gets the glory. It's not our wealth, it's not our religious achievements, it's not stellar preaching or music. Jesus opens doors for churches to minister to broken lives, but he also opens doors for broken lives to be saved when they believe. And he says, I know your strength. They were faithful to rely upon God's strength. It wasn't a slam, When you read that, it wasn't like saying, I know that you have a little strength. Like, man, sorry, Lord. It was just reality. They had this major opposition all around them, and yet here they were in in this community, and he says, I know that you have little strength. By the way, that's okay. Better to have a small strength and great dependence on the Lord than big strength and little dependence on the Lord. The Apostle Paul You read about his his journey in his life, it says that he got a, a, what's been described, or he describes it as a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that is. Commentators, like, they all have their ideas, like, oh, he had, like, some eye problem, he couldn't see really well, or he had some other issue. We don't know what it was, but we know that Paul prayed three times for God to take it away. And each time God says, like, no, no, no. And so the Lord, on that third time Paul prayed, God take it away. He says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. He says, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ for when I am weak, then I am strong. If you feel like, man, I'm kind of just hanging on, I've got a weak faith, you're, you're in an okay spot. As long as you respond like this church did, which is, I've got a small faith but a strong dependence upon God, you're going to be just fine through life. They had this understanding, and we don't have a lot of strength, but we have a big God, and we're going to rely upon Him, and that's what they did and he assured them that they would continue to have a great testimony in their area with that little strength and great dependency upon God. And he also notes to them, he says, guys, you're faithful to my word. You've kept my word and you haven't denied my name. Faithful to his word. What does that mean to be keep his word? Well, there they, they they were men and women that, that took God at his word. They, they, they held it in high esteem. They, they, they consumed his word. They meditated upon his word, and they, and, they, and they tried to live it out to the best of their ability. Jesus says this about a real disciple. He says, he says to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They stayed the course with the historic Christian faith that had been passed down to them by the apostles. And, and now you and I have the, the New Testament. You've got it in 40 translations on your phone. I've got it in 100 translations on my phone, because I just upgraded this week, right before my grandbaby was born. Did you know that? Actually, it's because I dropped it when they were going to the hospital to get induced. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm finally going to have to give in and get a new phone. So that 6S is now buried and resurrected as an 11, and that's why, Anyways. <laughs> They were faithful to his word. This is why my, let's say buddies. That's like, our pastor called us buddies today. This is why, my friends, we have Bibles all over this church. I know you have it on a phone. I have it on my phone too. But man, I I like to have something that isn't going to notify me like, oh, you have an email. Oh, someone liked your picture. Oh, someone unliked your picture. Whoa, that was weird. Where you get God's word. And you allow it to saturate your soul on a regular basis. This isn't a check-the-box kind of Christianity, like, hey, you know, read your Bible, and then God won't let you get a flat tire. That's not how it works. It's you spend time with God. You spend time in His Word to learn who He is, to learn how He wants you to live your life, to learn what He's done for you, so that you can understand what grace is all about. And you allow God's Word to saturate your soul, that you're not only knowing the the word of God, but you're knowing the God of the Word, which is the end. That's the reason why we study the Bible. It's not to know more than somebody else, it's actually to know him more. And so you spend time in his word. They were faithful to his word. And they also were loyal to his name. They weren't ashamed of the name of Jesus. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who would believe. They weren't denying his name, they stayed true to his word. They didn't deny his name. Peter preached that the name of Jesus was the only name given among human beings by which a person could be saved. You Think of how powerful the name of Jesus is in our lives. They didn't deny his name, nor did they deny his name through their actions. You know, there's a lot of people who actually hold to the truth of Christianity and and who Jesus is, the Son of God, uh, died for the sins of the world, resurrected on the third day but they deny him through their actions and their living. Paul talks about that to Timothy. He says, The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Some deny the Lord by how they live their lives, but that wasn't this group. Jesus says, Hey, those who oppose you, by the way, may be saying non-Jews cannot be saved denied Jesus as the Messiah. They opposed this group from sharing the gospel. They denied them access to the synagogue. They may have even spoken lies about them in the community, which would hit them financially as people would stop using their product or going to their place of business because this group from the synagogue of Satan was actually, uh, you know, trying to, to ruin their credibility. This is who Paul was. The apostle Paul was just like this. He was, he was, persecuting Christians and it was all inspired by Satan he was having them put in jail and he even had them executed because their profession of faith in Jesus Christ and him risen from the dead but that opposition often led to faith in Jesus and many who set out like Paul to prove Christianity wrong they actually became believers and what Jesus says is that one day they're going to acknowledge that I loved you and they're going to bow at your feet what does that mean somebody who is actually like mean to you in school, oh, I can't wait till we're in heaven one day, and they're going to bow at my feet. No, that's not how it's going to work. Perhaps it's a reference to they're going to get saved, they're going to show up at church, they're going to be worshiping with you, and you're going to look down like, wow, look at this. This is full circle, isn't it? Like they actually, the ones that made fun of you are actually now followers of Jesus at at your feet Not worshiping you, but worshiping with you, worshiping God. It's also a reference to one day, every person's going to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. Paul tells us in in Philippians chapter 2, he said, so that the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's no issue in this church. That's why Jesus doesn't give them any criticism. Why? Well, because they held fast to his word. They held fast to him. They didn't deny his name. They had a real connection with him, a real walk with him. And in verse 10, he says, because of that faithfulness, the promise is that you'll be kept from the hour of trial. And what is that referring to? You'll be kept from that hour of trial that's going to come upon the world and try every person. Many believe, including myself, that that's a reference that they will... They will escape the, the the period of time that's coming in Revelation verse 6 or chapter 6 through 19, the great tribulation that happens on the earth. And it's a reference that the faithful ones will be actually real believers, will be raptured before that trial that happens upon the earth. And here Jesus says, You'll be rescued from it. He didn't say, I'll keep you in the midst of it. Like, I'll hold your hand while you're going through that tribulation. He's saying, you'll be kept from the hour of trial. We all experience trials, right? So it's not a reference of, like, difficulty in life. How are you guys going through something difficult right now? That's it? Man, it's a miracle, right? Come on. Like, (laughs) I'm raising my hand. We got trials in life. Jesus even said, I've never seen this tattooed on anyone's body. In this world, you will have trouble. What's that verse mean? Like, no one puts it. It's always like, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? (laughs) For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. A great verse and a great promise. Here's a promise Jesus gave. In this life, you will have hardship. You will have trouble. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We all go through difficulty, and God promises to walk with us. So it's a reference to, like, you're going to be removed from that hour of trial, that period of time where God's wrath is, 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 is on this world and people are making decisions are they going to believe or are they going to reject and the majority continue to stiff arm God and reject what's the hope here the fact that Jesus gives them a promise you'll be rescued out of this hour you, you know that, that uh, way back in the day there was a, a, a Barry McGuire song right when I became a Christian Barry Maguire, do you guys know who Barry Maguire is anybody here, let's just speed this up Barry McGuire, he was like this radical non-Christian guy who got radically saved in the 70s, and then he began to use his platform in his his music, and wrote a song called, This Could Be the Day When Jesus Comes. This could be the day when uh, our our Lord returns. And as a new Christian on a cassette tape, man, me and my buddy, we played that over and over and over, and it gave us hope when we got a D- minus on a math test. And, And the thought that, hey, this could be the day, you know what I mean, before I have to take that home to my mom. You know what happens when you and I, by the way, this is a choice you have to make because life just continues to go on, doesn't it? And we hear things like, hey, the Lord could return today. But in the back of your mind, you're like, eh, I doubt it, right? "Ah, That's probably not going to happen. You know that the early church, they, they lived with this hope of the imminent return of Christ. And it changed their perspective of how they lived. John tells us in 1 John chapter 3 that in everyone who has this hope in him, purifies himself. You think about the way you're living. You think about the things that you're giving yourself an excuse to get away with. If the Lord was coming back this next Friday, how would your life change this next week? What would you think differently? The the stuff that we, we think about, like, Oh my gosh, like I can't live without this. You know what I mean? The Lord comes back and you're like, that was so dumb. Why did I give all my effort in life to something that was just going to fall apart? It isn't going to matter. It changed your perspective about human beings. Like, oh, I don't want to be around them. You might not get another chance to be around them, to share the gospel, to, to be a light, to, 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 to be uh, a kind human being that can... Preach the gospel with your words or without them. That kind of mindset that the Lord could return, it certainly focuses them and us on eternal things, and it, and it encourages their faith to say, listen, I know it's difficult, you have a little faith, but guess what? You're going to be rescued out of that great tribulation time that we read about in Revelation 6 through 19. Delivered from those events. So, what's the Lord's admonishment? We read in verse 11. He tells them, and us, he says, behold, or excuse me, in verse 11, I am coming soon. His admonishment, remember the Lord is coming soon. Guys, it's imminent. It's not immediate, but when it happens, it's going to be sudden. Remember, I'm coming soon. Don't lose sight of that fact that one day Jesus Christ will return for his bride, his church and you live your life as if that could be today it could be tomorrow it could be next week it's sobering because there's a lot to do there's a lot of people that it, we had a huddle time this morning and we prayed and we thought about like who right now do we know that 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 doesn't know Jesus Christ there's a lot of people man that we know there's a lot of people that you know there's a lot of people by the way we have more chairs we own this whole $300 million complex. We can get into a different room if we want to. We can pack it out. We got a swim complex. We got a lot of things we can do here. But there's people that you know that, that, that need the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And time is running out. That's what he wants them to know. It's to be in the mind and heart of every Christian from the day when Jesus ascended to heaven and sat at the right hand of the Father. It's to be a part of our daily walk. One day there's gonna be a generation that won't taste death, they won't actually die. Paul talks about this. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the trumpet sound, Christ will return. Those who have died will be resurrected with their new bodies and we who are alive will actually be transformed and you'll get a brand new body. One day you'll be walking around perhaps and your knee's all bum. you got a bum all hip, and then boom, the trumpet sound, man, brand new knee, didn't even have to go to Spock. By the way, no more pain, no more suffering, and forever we'll be with the Lord. When Paul wrote that to the church in Corinth in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong, after he told them about the hope of the return of Christ, and he says, and be immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. That's why Jesus says, remember I'm coming, but also hold fast what you have. Don't let anyone steal your crown. You know, you cannot lose your salvation. I know you might have friends that go to churches that say, oh, you could lose your salvation. I, why would you ever want to lose your salvation? Like, I'm just, I'm glad that it has nothing to do with me, that the Lord's holding on to me, and it's not my, like, weak grip trying to hold on to him. You know what I mean? Those of you that have little kids, you're walking with them in the street, and they're like, oh, I don't want to hold your hand. You're like, well, too bad, because I've got, like, a thousand-pound grip on your forearm right now. And, and it's like the Lord, you're not, he's not going to let you go. He says, hold fast what you have. He says, stay faithful to Jesus and finish strong. Don't depart from the foundation you have, the ministry doors you go through, your reliance on God with your your weak faith or small faith, your faithfulness to Jesus and his word. Hold on to that. And he longs for them to be with him in heaven, and that's why he tells them, remember, I'm coming, and, and man, stay faithful to him and finish strong. Hold fast to what you have your walk with him, your eternal mindset. You're living for something bigger than your little kingdom and my little kingdom and the stuff that you and I can accumulate through life. And then he gave this promise to overcomers as we wrap it up. The promise to overcomers was that that everyone's going to know that you belong to him, right? All will know that we are his. He described that you'll be a pillar in in the temple of his God, right? It's a figure of speech. Like, that doesn't sound awesome, does it? Like forever, you're just a pillar. You know what also doesn't sound awesome in heaven? Like being a fat little baby with wings playing a harp, right? When I first got saved, there's all these precious moments, things. I'm like, oh, Lord, if this is what I just signed up for, please don't make me a chubby little baby (laughs) playing a harp on a cloud. That doesn't sound like heaven. That sounds like hell, doesn't it? No, that's not what heaven's all about. It's, you're not a real, the idea is you're permanent. Remember this city had earthquakes, And they'd always have to leave the city and go in and out. And it was always a place of, they didn't have any kind of permanent life. Some of you guys grew up military families. You're like, "Ah, I just made a best friend. Okay, goodbye. That's not the way it is. It's you are a permanent resident in God's kingdom, never to be removed. And he'll mark you with the name of God, This new city that we read about in Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, and the new earth that God recreates, you get that? All the Christians that were like, you can't get a tattoo, it's in the Bible. Like, isn't that awesome? They're all going to have to get a tattoo with all these names all over them. And we're like, you sinner, you're not supposed to have a tattoo, but here the Lord's like, nope, everybody's getting a name on them. I hope mine has like a big giant lion on the back. You talking about all right on my back is what i mean you know what i mean the, the idea is that you're totally identified with jesus his name everyone will know that you are a loved one for all eternity and by the way the longer you and i spend with god in eternity the more we will be amazed by him that's what happens to the bride of Christ. That's not what happens to a bride on earth. They actually start to lose their amazement with their husbands, right? was like going, oh, dang, this is what my mom warned me about. In heaven, year after year, as we're marked by God, you remember that scene in, in Toy Story where, where Woody lifts up his boot and he sees Andy's name scribbled on it? I know it's a crude illustration, but for them, you know, it symbolized like love and property and ownership. It's as if Jesus is saying forever and ever and ever, everyone's going to know that I loved you enough to die for your sins and that you belong to me and you'll never have to leave this kingdom ever again. He who has an ear, she who has an ear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He or she who hasn't here, hear, hear what the Holy Spirit is saying right now to you. What is God speaking to you when we read this letter in our church? As they've done for centuries, by the way, as they've read this letter, and as they did their very first time in Philadelphia, they got this scroll and they read what Jesus, his assessment, his admonishment to them. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart today? Is it saying to you today that I'm going to open a door and I want you to walk through it. There may be an open door right now that you're reluctant to go through. I don't know if I want to you know, get involved with that or you know, I don't know if I want to actually be, you know, I'm, I'm reluctant about being used by God. Maybe you're afraid of sharing Jesus with others. And here he would tell us, hey, remember I'm coming soon, so respond appropriately. In a moment like this, you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? It, it's, it might not be, like switch gears and career. It's just, Lord, you made me a missionary at this educational center or at this bank or at this gym or at this restaurant. God, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord speaks to you and then you get busy doing it. The The, the one thing that made this church special was that they were faithful. They were faithful. Faithful believers they hear what God's saying, and they, they get active and busy doing it. That's what the Lord would be speaking to us. I'd encourage you this week, Lord, i want to keep your word. I don't want to deny your name. But Lord, what do, you, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be a part of? What ministry do you want me to be a part of? How can I further your kingdom because I know time is running out? Who's a person that needs to know about you and your love? I'm going to invite him to church next week. And maybe it's the open door for you today for salvation. You know, one, one thing I love about this church is that every single week, we, we, we create an opportunity for, for someone to actually say, man, I want to believe. I want to have salvation. I want my sins forgiven. Just last week in our midst, man, we had one person make that decision to step into that, that new life with Jesus and said, God, I want you in my life. Maybe that's you today. Maybe today's... The open door is that God wants you to to enter into his kingdom and to have your sins forgiven, for you to understand his love for you and and his desire to forgive you of your sins as he's forgiven each and every one of us our sins. Sometimes Christianity, we think that Christianity is do all these things and God will accept you. The gospel is the opposite. There's nothing you can do for God to accept you. The gospel is that God became a human being 2,000 years ago. He lived a life that was acceptable to God. It was perfect but ultimately he went to the cross and he gave his life on the cross as God poured out all of his wrath that all the sin that we've ever committed and that's ever been committed on this planet deserves. And he took that wrath, he absorbed that wrath in my place, in your place. And in exchange, he gives us his perfection, his righteousness. A person can stand before God completely sinless and perfect because of what Jesus Christ has done. What do we have to do to do that? How do I have that assurance that, that I belong to him and I'm saved? Well, you recognize that you're a sinner. You you, you tell God, God, I, I know that I've sinned. And you ask him to forgive you. You realize that Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and for all of us, and he willingly laid his life down for you, and you recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, you turn from your sin. Repentance is a word that's a beautiful word. It means I'm going in this way in my life, and I'm going to do a 180, and I'm going to go in the direction of God. And you receive Jesus Christ into your life. You receive him into your life. You have that moment in your life like I did decades back, like many have done through the centuries, you say, God, I'm ready to surrender. There's no magical words, but we, we, we pray A prayer, something like, God, I want you to come into my life. Maybe that's you this morning saying, hey, man, would you pray for me, Gordon? I want Jesus in my life. I want my sins forgiven. I want to begin a relationship with him today. Would you all bow your heads with me now and close your eyes? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for these letters, God. What a a blessing that we get to study them week after week. God, what a privilege for me to open your word and do my best, God, to proclaim what it is saying to us uh, week after week. And thank you for friends that are willing to sit here, God, and, and study with me. Lord, I pray that you will help all of us, God, to see the open doors that you open up for us, God. To see the open door that you have for RVC as a church community. Open doors for us as individuals. Lord, help us to, to open our eyes, God, to eternal things. And Lord, to be about things that really matter as we see the day approaching, that day that is soon coming where you'll return. And Lord, I also pray for those today who who need to see the open door of salvation. Jesus, you went to the cross for my sin. You went to the cross for their sin. And Lord, you willingly took our wrath, the wrath of God that we deserved. You took it upon yourself so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. We could have new life with you. Lord, we could have an open door that no person can shut. Thank you that there's no sin that is too great that you can't forgive. Thank you that there's no person too far that you can't reach. Lord, help all of us to know that, Lord, as we head out this week.